welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about... I do this every time and I can never... I don't know what to say. What are we about? We talk about stuff. We talk about stuff. That's classical and you should know it. My name is Thomas Smagby. I'm joined as always by Mr. AJ Hannenberg. That's me. And Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hey. Now, today we are talking about something that I don't have a witty co- uh, comment to make about it. I've really nailed it on this introduction. I didn't know what our podcast it's was about. It's going really well. And I also don't... I, I know the name of what your episode is about. I have no idea how to make a pun about it. Not that I usually make puns anyway. We are here to talk about... Like a medical condition Try, from the sounds of it. Yeah, I, The uh, ontological argument? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about the prosologion. Yes. We, both. Yes, yes both. answer is yes. But I've got a bad case of ontology, so... Uh, <laughs> you got to see an ontology. Majored in ontology. <laughs> you got to see an ontologist. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. AJ, this oh, is Oh, man, your... that's, a, that's a ripe pun field right there. Which one is? Oh, you you have to go seen, see an ontologist. Oh, this is good. I like this. Okay. Uh, AJ, this is your episode, so would you take it away? You, you, these are some funny words we've used in our intro. What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> wrote this? Is it the bead? No, this is uh, uh, no uh, Ambrose of Canterbury. Nope. Oh, crap. You're close. Um, Anselm of Canterbury. Anselm there. of Nailed Canterbury. Now, I'm not going to talk about him very much. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Okay. I don't have much on him. I did not do a whole lot of research on the person himself. I will tell you, he was exiled twice. This Anselm guy was? This Anselm character. He was a monk. To a golden mountain. Was he? What are you talking about? Talking about the anyway, whatever. The ontological. Is that a very argument. funny joke? Oh no, it's part of the ontological argument. No, it is not. Golden mountains. What are you talking about? The best thing that can be conceived. I don't. I don't I remember don't, anything oh, about golden mountains. Whatever. I literally just read it this morning. Oh, okay. What are you talking? about? I don't know. Maybe I'm making stuff up. <laughs> a different translation. I wouldn't worry about it. Now I'm curious about these golden mountains. Are the golden mountains in the room with us right now, Graham? <laughs> I will you? tell you about Paradise Island. <laughs> we'll get there. Nailed it. And we didn't lose it. Okay. 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 All right, so I read The Proslogion, which is by Anselm of Canterbury, and it is where one of the most famous philosophical arguments originates. And I always use it as an example for my students when they are writing and they want to know how long their paper has to be. And I say, one of the most famous philosophical arguments was written in half a page. Hmm. You probably can't do that, so let's call it two pages, <laughs> right? Like, good. My, and my point is, you know, you need good ideas. Don't, don't, you know, throw words at a page until you have two pages, Tell me something good and tell it as briefly as you can. And so that is, this is the example that I use, and I, I decided to read it this morning, and it's it's pretty great. It's an easy to get through. It's I think it's a cool 44 pages or so, and you are I, I think it is easy for a listener to get through. The I also read the one of the criticisms of it by another Christian of the time. And he said, here are the problems with what you're saying. And then Anselm's response. Now, oh, I'll admit, who was it? Was it John Duns Scotus? Uh, I'll have to I have look. no idea. That's I don't think it was. One of these. I don't think that, okay. that name doesn't ring a bell. All right. So I'll, I'll admit, those were a little tougher to get through. And I'll, I'll show you an example of exactly why, because I highlighted a whole sentence that might be the funniest sentence in English prose that you've ever heard. And But we'll get there. That is a big promise. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty okay. good, you guys. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Hey, and I, maybe I, I oversold it. Okay. It is the sentence greater than which no sentence can be thought. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think Graham might be right about this Golden Mountain thing. I don't know if it's in the Proslogion or whatever you're reading, but when I search St. Anselm Golden Mountain, a bunch of stuff comes up. Tell me, what, I mean, where's it come from? Tell uh, me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I, don't, I just told you you're wrong. I, I don't want to back it up with any, any facts or details, but I just want you to know you're wrong. Okay, just first... blind assertion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First blind assertion of the podcast. <laughs> I'll ring the bell every time we have one of those. Point Thomas. Okay, <laughs> point Thomas for a blind assertion. Yeah. So... We, uh, I, oh, I really, what I really wanted to do was have Thomas read as the intro, the very first section of the book, which I think you'll enjoy. So pretend that we haven't actually started the podcast. Okay. Happy to. That you've just arrived. Yeah. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and play a, a little little part part of it for you if okay. I can get back to it. Proslogion. Getting a little nervous right contents, now. chapter one. Okay, just go ahead and read. Maybe read the first paragraph. Okay. You highlighted the first sentence. Can I say that? Yep, because I wanted you to read it. Wow. Come now, insignificant mortal. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you'd have me read this. <laughs> Leave behind your concerns for a little while and retreat for a short time from your restless thoughts. Cast off your burdens and cares. Set aside your labor and toil just for a little while. Make room for God and rest a while in him. Enter into the chamber, which is quoting Matthew 6, 6, of your mind. Shut out everything but God and whatever helps you to seek him and seek him behind closed doors. Speak now, my whole heart. Say to God, I seek your face. Your face, Hmm. Lord, do I seek. Good stuff. That's great. Isn't that a fun little intro? I I always think we should start with, come now, insignificant (laughs) mortal. Leave behind your concerns for a little while. We should. Like, what a great, what a great intro. I should start my class. (laughs) Tenth grade. Put that into your catechism. That's awesome. It kind of is great. It is kind of great. Yeah. Okay. So apparently in the intro, it's actually by Anselm also. He says that what he was trying to do was think up a proof for God that requires nothing outside of itself. A proof for God that stands on its own two feet, doesn't have to point to any evidence or anything outside of it, but it is clearly just a self-contained little proof for God that he can give to people. Okay. That was the impetus of writing this. And for a long time, he didn't find it. And he was getting kind of hacked with it because eventually it just was, you know, occupying his mind when it could be occupied with other things. So he gave up, but then he tried to give up and it came back. Anyway, eventually it kind of popped into his head, right? While he was doing it. And that was where this book began. And so I will try to gloss over those, those bits that I think will especially appeal to our Christian audience about the greatness of God, where he is just sort of doing the praising God stuff, and I'll try to focus on the philosophy. So if you're non-Christian coming to this, this is still an interesting argument, right, As in the in the story of philosophy, and one that I still don't know how to controvert, and one that is still discussed, and there are even modern versions of it that consider multiple universes and all kinds of stuff. So just as a, as a philosophical history thing, it is worth your attention. So... Chapter one is that just sort of intro business, right? So let's go ahead and jump to chapter two, which is where the, where the actual argument takes place. And so I'm going to read it to you. This is the ontological argument. So even the fool must admit that something than which nothing greater can be thought exists at least in his understanding since he understands this when he hears it. And whatever is understood exists in the understanding. So here I think that it gets kind of convoluted because I think in the original it's two different words. I think intellectus is one of those. Okay. Right? And so I think they're using thought and intellectus and it's almost interchangeable for us, but I think it had different shades of meaning for them. So you'll hear understand and understanding and thought and thought and those opposed to each other. Sorry. Anyway. So it exists in his understanding. And surely that than which greater cannot be thought cannot exist only in the understanding. For if it exists only in the understanding, it can be thought to exist in reality as well, which is greater. Okay. Because otherwise, if it didn't exist, then it wouldn't be the greatest thing you could think of. Yeah. So, if that than which nothing greater, uh, sorry, that than which a greater cannot be thought exists only in the understanding, then that than which a greater cannot be thought is that than which a greater can be thought. That's impossible. Therefore, there is no doubt 
that something than which greater cannot be thought exists both in the understanding and in reality. This is the basic version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so let, let, me, let me track you through it. Okay. Thomas, think of the greatest thing you can. And not, no, sorry, not the greatest, okay. because all that has to do is be greater than everything else. Okay. So you have to think of the thing that nothing greater than this can be conceived. So it's not just the greatest thing that exists, right? Like a giant, like gold an ice mountain. cream cone the size like of Jupiter. Like a gold mountain. A big old gold mountain, right? That's the greatest thing I can conceive. But a thing hume. greater than which nothing can, can be conceived. Could I conceive of something greater than a gold mountain? Yep. Yes, I could. So this is the greatest possible thing to be conceived. You got it in your brain. No. I have, Like what would even fit in that? Like God is the obvious answer, but I don't under, like what... Good. Gr- great, great. Awesome. Great. Proved it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So but he like, actually addresses like, okay, you can't necessarily hold this in your mind, yeah. but you have the, the idea of the concept, right? Yeah, like you, you can kind of imagine there's a thing greater than which nothing can be conceived. But what do you mean by greater? So it's, it is maximally good. It is maximally powerful. It is maximally pure. It is maximally existent. Yeah. Right. So you have this thing in your head. Okay. Okay. Now answer me this question. Is it greater to exist in reality or to not exist. Exist. Therefore, this thing you are thinking oh, That's of, a blind assertion. Ding. Oh, we got another one. AJ, you... Hey, blind look. assertion. I missed it. I'm so sorry, guys. Do you, want, do you want the bell, Graham? No, no, no. Okay. Because I've, we're doing, talking philosophy. We're dinging that bell all day long. <laughs> the it's the be great. Time, yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah. So, it is greater to exist than not to exist. Yeah, sure. Therefore, this thing you are thinking of, to avoid a self-contradiction, uh-huh. must have the quality of... Existence. Existing in reality. Uh-huh. And there you go. God exists. That doesn't make any sense. Good job, sense. Thomas. Okay. Let's... Let's say that dig I dig in. Get let, in. Get let's in. Say I it. love unicorns. I yeah. love unicorns. Sure you do. Unicorns are the greatest of all possible anything. The joy that they bring into the world. It's not true. It is true because I love unicorns. So like greatness is determined by the person. It's not though. Okay. But what? even even if you say you love unicorns, uh-huh. can you conceive of a unicorn that's better than just the normal unicorn like you can think of? With wings. Okay, a Pegasus. Yeah. I'm okay, so now it's not a unicorn anymore. So you're not thinking of the greatest possible unicorn. You're I'm thinking, thinking of, of a Pegasus. unicorn with wings, which is not a Pegasus. Pegasus. They don't have a horn on the. And it gives you like a sandwich every time you see it. Ooh, that's okay, so that's greater. <laughs> okay. Now, what if this thing supremely loved everyone in the universe? I hate this so much. Okay, yeah, that, that would be pretty would it great. Would be greater? Yeah, Okay, be what if this unicorn, instead of being present in one place, could be present everywhere at once? Okay, that's pretty great. This is a good okay. unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, what if it uh, knew everything? Wow, okay, that'd be an even better unicorn. And loved you. Wow, I would was love willing a to die unicorn. for you, maybe. <laughs> well, well, we're taking a turn there. Okay, but I don't know. Okay, so my unicorn is now God, apparently. Yes. Uh, so you, what you had tried to think of something it wasn't the greatest because we thought of something greater, right? Yeah, it fact, wasn't the great, uh, the unicorn greater than which nothing can be conceived. But in fact, you love what you loved about that unicorn was really a love of God. <laughs> I hate this so much. Um, uh, I'll have, anyway, but okay. So, but that leads me to then think, imagining something that is all knowing, all powerful, all whatever. But then I understand that it would be better were that thing to exist, but why is that necess- necessarily true? Because you you must avoid the contradiction. So if you say, in my conception uh-huh. of the thing greater than which nothing can be conceived, uh-huh. and it has the quality of existing, uh-huh. if you say yes, but it doesn't actually exist, right. well, then you're not thinking of the greatest thing anymore. You are thinking of something that has the resemblance of the greatest thing, but doesn't actually exist. Okay. So to avoid contradicting yourself... The thing that is greater than which nothing can be conceived must exist in reality. Can't we hit the contradiction from the other side and say, why is existing better than non-existing? So that's, that's one place that you could, I think, and, and honestly, it's not addressed uh, in the entire proslogion. The premise of 
existing in reality being better than non-existing. It's taken as a given. It's taken as a given. And I think almost rightly so. It is better to be in reality a cor- corporal thing that has all these qualities than Le- to be an imaginary thing. Don't ask Leopoldi. Leopardi would not Leopardi. feel that way. Yeah, he'd totally disagree with that. I don't ask Leopardi about anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really understand bees. Yeah. <laughs> He's a perfect entomologist. What's the one about insects? Yeah. And flowers don't feel pain in the same way we do. This guy. This, <laughs> this guy. Leah Party. Least favorite guy. Uh, this, okay. I, I, sure. I still don't accept that last part. Like, I understand you saying that anything that does exist is better than a an all-powerful thing that doesn't exist. I think that's what that final statement means. It doesn't, I don't, I don't, I don't see the connection from, because you can imagine it and it's awesome, that awesome thing must also exist. It's it's to avoid contradicting yourself. You say, look, this is the thing I'm imagining. Yeah, it has the quality of existing, but it doesn't exist. Well, you are again, no Nothing longer thinking of. But then aren't I back to the beginning of like, horses are awesome. So like, uh, unicorns would be more awesome, but they're not real. So a real life horse is better than a fake unicorn. Is so it? yes, a real life thing is better than the fake thing. Yeah. But you can think of something better than a horse that exists. A unicorn that exists horses, is one of those. But because they don't exist, the horse is better. Y- no. What? What? I thought I'm trying to follow what you're. Isn't existence can you, can better? Can you lay out your your argument? I again? love horses. No, existence <laughs> is better than non-existence. Correct. Oh. So a unicorn would be better than a horse. Correct. Yes. But a unicorn is not real. Does sure. not have physical form. Ergo, the horse is superior to the not real unicorn. Is that what this is arguing? Am I using its tools correctly? I think you are using its tools correctly, but I think you are. But but an existent unicorn would be better than would both. Be, but it doesn't exist. But yes, a unicorn doesn't. But that greater than which nothing can be conceived does. It has to by its definition. I don't understand philosophy. <laughs> okay. So we'll we'll get a little bit deeper into it, and okay. I, I will actually come up against some of the criticisms, one of which is the the Paradise Island criticism. So okay. we'll get there. Oh, so chapter three. Um, basically, God cannot be thought not to exist. So this being exists so truly that it cannot be thought not to exist. For it is possible to think that something exists that cannot be thought not to exist, and such a being is greater than one that can be thought not to exist. So if you are saying, I am thinking of that which greater than, that greater than which nothing can be conceived, so it's the greatest possible thing, mm-hmm. well, if you think it doesn't exist, well, you're not, again, you are not thinking of that great thing anymore. You are thinking of something lesser, something that can be thought not to exist, right? Okay. Like a unicorn right. in your answer. I can conceive of a unicorn not existing, right? In fact, they don't exist. Right. I know this about unicorns. Right. But the, by the very essence of the thing I'm talking about, that greater than which nothing can be conceived, it must exist, right? Otherwise, I'm contradicting myself. I'm saying, yeah, I'm thinking about it, but it doesn't sure. exist. Yeah. I am now in a contradiction. Sure. The part I'm, uh, the part I'm misunderstanding is then, okay, you can find something real that exists, but if you don't believe in God, then you wouldn't say that God exists necessarily. You would say that a, uh, a conception of God who is not real is inferior to fighter jets or whatever. Sure. But he is also inferior to a God that exists. And sure. that's the point. If I, if I come up to you and I say, think of that thing greater than which nothing can be conceived. Yep. And you say, yeah, I got God, but he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Well. It would be better if God existed. You are, you are no longer thinking of that great thing. You are thinking of something. Isn't this, beg- isn't this be- question begging, like quite literally? Honestly, not really. Okay. This, the, so the thing about the ontological argument is it's a lot easy to dismiss it and say you don't like it than it is to find the actual problem with it. But aren't, 
you haven't proved God. You you are saying it would be better if God existed than if he didn't exist. Yes. That doesn't mean, therefore, God exists. So, okay, so follow me. It does. <laughs> it literally doesn't. I know. I know. So I know you teach logic or whatever. So but here's no way. Here's the thing: if you claim to be thinking of that thing greater than which nothing can be conceived, uh-huh. then he must. He must. The thing you are thinking of must actually exist so in then reality. Isn't that the end of the? Isn't that the end of the experiment? Just to say, like, I can't do that. You can't conceive of a Correct. god existing. No, I can't conceive of something that's greater that nothing greater can be conceived. I can't do it. You can't conceive of the great thing. Yeah. You can't conceive. Right, then you dumb. <laughs> Uh, I, I dumb. No, that's my takeaway right now. You can't conceive of God is what... I'm just saying, why isn't that, why isn't that the... Because I think it's a cop-out that no one can actually support. You can think of great things. You can think of something that's ma- maximum. At least hold that concept in your mind. Doesn't this end up being the like empirical argument against it? It's like, well, all right, I haven't seen it. I, um, so, like... But I, you can I, conceive I've seen of a it. horse, I've seen a sandwich, I've seen a fighter jet. Those are right. all pretty awesome. Right. But you can conceive it. Like, we are talking about the concept right now. You can't claim that you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say that greater than which nothing can be conceived. You understand that concept. But which means you can't conceive it. I guess I understand it. the concept of, like, what's, of, like, of greatness, of, like, things being better than things. Yeah. And then, so you understand the concept of the greatest thing. Mm. You don't have to necessarily know all its qualities. We could argue about it and eventually get there. But you understand that concept. And if you can say that existing is better than not existing, why can't I just have an, an saying like, "No, what I understand is that there's no such thing as great as great greatest. It's just greater and greater and greater and greater and greater." In an infinite series, yeah. So the thing you are thinking of is infinitely is it, great. Isn't infinitely great. And in that infinite greatness, is it better to exist? But it's sure. But it, but that <laughs> oh, infinite and there no, we are. We that arrived, infinite greatness is, are are all individual things. What? Yeah, so there's there's in, there's infinite plus one or there's yes there's the hundredth greatest thing and then the hundred and first greatest yep. thing and then one or two yeah so then the next so question then which would be, one is the best is it, one well the one that encapsulates all of those that, things. that I can't conceive of sure you can I just like talked the, about the it the you understand what I'm talking about yeah I don't know you, you understood enough to say you couldn't conceive of it um this is one you should watch on YouTube for <laughs> Graham and my reactions as we're <laughs> trying to think through this <laughs> I understand the words coming out of your mouth you do I. I still don't see how the my ability to think of those things necessitates its existence. I understand how a... Am, am I not explaining it correctly or am I just... No, no. I think you've explained it clearly. I, <laughs> or are you just dumb? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just dumb. Thank you. But like, okay, maybe I'll take it this way. There are smart people who still, still don't believe in God. Are they just illogical? Because they... In this case, yes. They are self-contradicting. But that, again, just because something can exist and be better than something imagined and not exist, why does that necessitate its existence? Be Because of the definition of that greater than which nothing can be conceived. So it, it is specifically those words and not just the greatest thing. You can always conceive of something greater, but it is that thing that nothing can be greater than it. And so one quality of that thing is that it must exist. Wait, why can't I say that a non, that the idea of a God that actually doesn't exist is in fact better than a fighter jet? That, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And a God that does actually exist is better than both. Hmm. How can it be otherwise? <laughs> Why, well, yes. Uh, thank you. Why Finally, yes, I'm Hannah so Bird. glad to have you guys on, yeah. on board. <laughs> so, how else could it be? How else could so, it be? yeah, he basically says in chapter three, 
you cannot conceive of this thing not existing because again, then you are thinking of not the greatest thing anymore. Okay. Right, that, that then greater than which nothing can be conceived. I'm not going to say that phrase. I'm just going to call it the greatest thing. Sure. But Anselm is actually very sticky on this point. Later, it's he says it's not just the greatest thing because that could be just a planet full of gold. Right, that's a it's a great thing where there's like ice cream and puppies. Sign me up. Wonderful. Yeah, Sounds great. awesome. Yeah. But this has to be for the sake of the argument that greater than which nothing can be conceived because that necessitates the existence. Because if you say yeah, I get the concept of that, but it doesn't exist. Well, again, you are self-contradicting. You don't get the concept because the concept, it must exist. Okay. Right? So that is his proof of God. Now, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I think the same way it's making you uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people sweep it aside as maybe not satisfying, right? Like, okay, I hear your argument. Maybe it's a self-contradiction is kind of the answer. Yeah. There's just like a mechanism in there that I'm missing, but that is not for you have explained it well. And I'm, I'm, you are accurately conveying the argument. It just doesn't, again, imagine you go to your, like, the most anti-religious person you know, and you're like, whoa, whoa, I'm going to prove to you that God really exists. They're not going to be like, wow, AJ, you did it. I no, I don't think it's going to be convincing to them. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you're, you are correct with that. But yeah. then ask them to say why, and they'll have a hard time saying why. That's, that's the fun thing about the ontological argument, is, again, like, I don't think that this is the proof that will bring people into the fold. Right. Right. I think it's cool to think about once you are already in, or even fun to think about if you are I want nothing to do with it. But again, it's easier to say it's not convincing than it is to say exactly why it is not convincing. Because as a as a self-contained argument, it's it's pretty bang on. I remain unconvinced, but you have you have well conveyed this argument. <laughs> are you sure you don't want me to explain it I again? I really Thomas? don't. I'm okay. so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Chapter five is about this applying not just to the existence quality, uh-huh. but to avoid self-contradiction, it must apply to all other qualities, which means it must be the most truthful, the most happy, the most powerful, the most knowledgeable, right? All of those qualities that we traditionally associate with God to avoid contradicting yourself and saying, yeah, I conceive of God, but this God is cruel. Well, then he is no longer that greater than which nothing can be conceived and he must have those qualities as well. So he must be all of those things. All unity, all he must have existed through all time because to have a beginning or to have an end, well, that's not necessarily as great as having all of life at once. Or even, well, I guess we'll get there, there in a second. So that's chapter five. Chapter six is a weird one. <laughs> Weirder than the, the ones we've been on. Say, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ones in here that seem to be sort of fights over things that we don't fight anymore over like discussing like this one about how God perceives things. Okay. Um, so he says God must perceive things because perceiving is trying to get knowledge, right? Yes. God has all knowledge. Sure. Therefore he perceives all baby. Okay. That's chapter six. (laughs) Good. I know that it seems like I'm oversimplifying these, but for example, chapter five is a single paragraph. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Chapter six is also, uh, two paragraphs, Uh but that's, that's the gist of it, right? That the, um, if only corporal things can perceive because the senses exist in a body and are directed toward, towards bodies, then how can you perceive, right? So that's the question. And it's because he has all knowledge, therefore he can perceive. I think this is a bad argument. I think this is affirming the consequent. So how is this argument different from the rest of them? So I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out. So if you, um, 
Let's see. If you have all knowledge, you must have perceived God perceives it. Okay, so if you have knowledge, you must have perceived it. God has... No, that's not. It's, it's the other way around. So if you try to perceive something, it will lead to knowledge. God has all knowledge. Oh, therefore. therefore, he has all perception. Right? It works backwards in an if-then statement. So for example, if I take a shower, I get wet. Mm-hmm. God is supremely wet. Therefore, therefore, God is supremely showered. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't necessarily make sense. Sure. Or if I, yeah, if I take a shower, I get wet. I am wet. Therefore I have showered. Well, I might've gone out in the rain. I might've done other things. It's, I think it is trying to establish a quality of God that he perceives all without circumventing. I'm actually much more comfortable saying God just knows all. I was going to say, the problem is that there's like an intermediary step, but the other ones don't have that. So, um, it'd be better for some, someone or something to be wise. Therefore this God is, has all wisdom. Like that's okay. But um, wisdom comes from reading books. Therefore, God has read all books. Or is that the right way to do yeah, it? Yeah, therefore, God has perceived all, all books. books. Yeah, so right. it's, it's that intermediary step that makes it worse than earlier in the book. Yeah, I think okay. that this one is a particularly bad okay. argument. He does it, He kind of doesn't nail it. There's another one in there that I also don't think is very good. Okay. Uh, chapter seven is, okay, so we've established that he is the maximum. He has got all qualities to the maximum. Does this include evil qualities? No. How come? Because evil is a negation of good, and because he has all good things, he has he has a negative infinity of evil things, which is the same as a positive infinity of good things. I don't know what he says. You're you're not far off, okay, actually. Good. So you want to take Graham? You got to guess. But why can't wait? I know where you're going with this, but why not? Why can't you say things like, um, a lot of ham is good. <laughs> Therefore, God is infinite ham as well as infinite truth. <laughs> infinite ham? Yeah. I love ham. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great point. Because I would, I would wager to say infinite ham is not good. Infinite ham is great. What are you talking about? Infinite ham is not good. Do you want to live in infinite ham? I don't yes. want to live in infinite ham. Got to breathe. <laughs> oh. um, That's not a great thing. Infinite ham, ham is great. Uh-huh. Infinite ham, not great. Mm. One who can create infinite ham. Oh. That's great. We're back to God. Um, so, okay. <laughs> evil, no. God's not evil. Yeah. So, so a critic could say, right, well, just like with the ham thing, mm-hmm. okay, wouldn't someone who is a serial killer be better than just a killer? <laughs> okay. Right? Sure. So to avoid contradiction, this thing greater than which nothing can be thought must be the greatest killer ever. Of all time, yeah. Right? So that, that is one possible argument a person could make is that you kind of turn it around and say, okay, this great thing you're thinking of, I must have all evil qualities as well as all good qualities. Right? But he answers and says, well, evil, and I think it's the answer you kind of give, evil is really a weakness. Right? And so what you're trying to say is that God is the most weak thing, but that's not... Not the same as being the greatest. It's the Not the same. It is, yeah. it is literally the opposite. Right. When that is really what evil is, is a mistake. It's a weakness. It's an evil. It is a lack of power. It is impotence. And so those things are things that cannot be attributed to God because it was, it's the opposite, moving in the opposite direction. So you're essentially right. If he is the supremely evil thing, it would be a negation of all great things. So he can, that cannot be part of the definition yeah. of that greater than which nothing can be thought. That's not the one that you have a bone to pick with, is it? Nope. Yeah. I think that was pretty good. Okay. Um, chapter eight, this is, this is where his screwy one kind of gets screwy. So he starts to talk about his, his greatness in mercy versus his greatness in justice. So he's like, God justly punishes and justly spares infinitely. How does that work? Like he's trying to figure out the balance between justice and mercy. Okay. 
And he kind of spins his wheels for a couple of chapters. And then the, the I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. At the end, he's just like, am I even getting it? Like, God, can you improve what I'm saying? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm saying that he is just to himself when he punishes, but he's just to us when he is merciful. But that's not a contradiction. Is it really like because working it out he is that way? one? Yeah, it seems yeah. like he's just sort of working it out. And by the end, he just says, well, justice is what you do and mercy is what you do. And because you do it, it's good. That's how it works. That's and I don't think that is a good argument either, okay. right? I, I think it would maybe line up with other theologians that say that justice is a, one of God's qualities and we, you know, we can't set justice above God because it is, is essentially synonymous. Mm. But this just isn't a good argument, right? Where he kind of spins his wheels for a long time and ends up saying, well, it's just what you are. So there you go. Or he just didn't know how to answer the question, so he had to end the chapter at some point. But he doesn't talk about you can be just and merciful at the same time. The justice... He does. He says your mercy is infinite and your justice is infinite and they are parts of your character and that's why you do them and that's why they're great. Like <laughs> like a man died for sin but it was also merciful for all of us. Like he doesn't talk about how the cross is the justice and mercy at the same time. Not really, but uh, the weird thing is he doesn't talk about it here, yeah. but the atonement theory, the yeah. theory of atonement uh, atoning salvation is Anselm's. Is he Curt Deus Homo? Did he write Curt Deus Homo? Why God man? Don't know. I don't know. No, oh, okay. But yeah. before that, it was a ransoming Anselm of Canterbury? Yeah. Is that this guy? Then yes. Yeah. So, so he, he talks about that in Cur Deus Homo. Yeah. So before, before Anselm, the notion of the cross was that he had to ransom us back from the devil because essentially the, yeah, yeah. the evil owned us. <laughs> and so his death was like a ransom. Mm -hmm. He paid the ransom for our sins. But from Anselm onward, it was kind of a, an atonement thing. God's justice required a death. And so he fulfilled in his mercy, the justice for that death. And so both his justice and mercy are, are fulfilled. So that's, that's him. But he doesn't give the but answer not here. here. Right. His answer here is just like, it's just what you are. So, so then you he go. had to write this other one to yeah. answer that question. He yeah, got exactly. around to it eventually. Okay. How are we doing on time? You're halfway through 30 minutes. Okay. Whew, that's, that's just about right. Good. Okay. Next section is he wants to address being no parts in God. Okay. Now this is something I don't think that we moderns would necessarily have an issue with. They saw unity as a really great quality, being all one single substance. I think we are comfortable knowing that sometimes one thing is a lot of little things, right? We know about atoms, and we know about molecules, and we know about organs, and all of those things that go up to make up our world. And I don't think we see it as a negative, that they are, there are parts to the whole. I think he did, right? Okay. That unity, as seen as one of one of those qualities that must be a part of the Godhead. And so he said, you are the most supreme one thing. And then he has to do a little bit of backpedaling talking about the, the, the Trinity. Trinity. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is from him is partially where we get the, the heresy, like saying it's a heresy, trying to say that they are three different people or different parts, right? right? Where it's actually different pieces of God. He's saying, no, it's a, it's a unity. You are three in one single Thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of, this is one of, one of the places it comes from. I've never totally, I, I know there's a whole debate around simplicity, complexity. Part of it, I think, is the possibility of um, contradicting wills if you have multiple parts, mm -hmm. which therefore there can't be in God. I know it's a big deal in like ancient debates, but I don't know much more other than God must be only one. Yeah. And I, I don't think we have that same I, I don't know if we have that same hang up now. No. Do, we, do you have that same hang up, Donaldson? Mm, I don't like think so. You require I think you're right in saying that our understanding of like how things are made up of smaller things is, yeah. Yeah, I think we've come a, come a ways in that. Anselm lived around 1100, so they had a, a different worldview back then. Sure. Okay, this next one I find 
really interesting, chapter 19, is about eternal life versus eternal time. So this is where he establishes that God is outside of time. Because if you say, okay, this thing that I cannot think of anything greater is going to end. That's worse than if something kept going. Exactly. So it must not end. And what if I said it had a beginning? That's worse than if it didn't have a beginning. Exactly. So it must not have a beginning, nor can it have an end. And what if I said it is only in the present and has lost both past and future? That sounds bad. That That also sounds bad. So it must be all moments, all the time, in present to this being, right? And this is to avoid self-contradiction. It must be eternal uh, as opposed to infinite? I, I think I'm doing oh. a distinction without a difference, but what I mean is instead of a an infinite series of time, it is a fullness of all time at once. Sure. I, uh, the way you're presenting it is very much on the logic of it. I noticed in the first paragraph I read, he's quoting Bible stuff. Does he, is this mostly a series of logical arguments to prove these attributes of God? It's a lot of, it's a lot of logic. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, that's a part that I'm finding fascinating of how he's getting to these attributes of God. It's not a pull out your verse and do that. It's, there are things we can know about God just through like reasoning through these things. Yeah. Well, and that was his goal. Yeah. He wanted a, a self-contained yeah. argument that sort of established who God was. Yeah. And he started with the, the, the single argument proving his existence and yeah. then has sort of extrapolated that you can't think him not to exist. Right. He's got to be one. He has to have all the best qualities. He's got to be truly an infinite being rather than just one that kind of lives eternally through a series of time. And he, you know, can't have parts. He's justly punishing and justly sparing, although his argument for that is not good. And he perceives everything. Again, not a great argument. Okay. And also, yeah, and is experiencing all moments of time uh, at the same time. I, I don't know how he describes it, but yeah, not just stuck going one direction in time, but outside of it, as we would say now. Yeah, outside of it entirely. All right, so here's one fun, weird chapter. See if you guys can help me make sense of it. Chapter 21, whether this is the age of the age or the ages of the ages. Hmm. I'm going to let Graham take this one. So is this the age of the age or the, and it's a, it's just one paragraph, the whole chapter. So is this the age of the age or the ages of the ages? For just as an age of time contains all temporal things, so your eternity contains the very ages of time. This eternity is indeed an age because of its indivisible unity, but it is ages because of its boundless greatness. And although you are so great, Lord, that all things are full of you and are in you, nonetheless, you have no spatial extension so that there is no middle or half or any other part of you. Graham, what do you think? Age of age. (laughs) Ding. All right, let's move on. So, so that seems to be another one of those where I feel like I'm just, I don't know the controversy. Yeah, that, sure. exactly. That there's a, there's some sort of internal argument going on within the There's church. like a monk he had a fight with <laughs> at the dinner table and now he's writing. It's like, he's like, yeah, age it's, of it's age. the flippant age of the ages or it's both, right? And also you don't have any middle. And I'm like, well, okay. All right. I'm on board there, Anselm. Great. Cool. I hope you beat that guy at yeah. dinner. <laughs> yep. Don't know. Yep. Rock and roll. Take that Borfus from Canterbury or whatever your name is. <laughs> Borfus. Yeah. Borfus the monk. But he was a treat. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then we just sort of wind down until the end. Okay. And that is the proslogian. So you think you think it is logically coherent? I have a hard time finding a, a hole in it. What are the modern? Uh, what are what are the famous holes that people have, have so, lobbied against it? So this the next chapter is sort of one of the oh, famous. Okay. Or it's like a it's Guanillo's reply on behalf of the fool, 
Guanilo, yeah. And Borfus. Yeah, it's Borfus. Borfus. So he's gonna get into it. And I'll be honest, I understood a chunk of it. Okay. Because it really leans into the I mean, you guys noted in some of the passages I read, there's so many negations. It is not this, and therefore un this and yeah, not yeah. this, and greater right. than which not nothing can be, and I'm just I get lost. Sure. And um, this is one of the sentences that I wanted to read to you guys was them discussing this bit. Uh, let's see. So this is, I think, actually within Anselm's reply. Yeah, so I'll go Granillo's criticism, his big criticism, the one that everyone can actually understand, and then I'll talk about Anselm's reply. Okay. okay. So the criticism that Granillo comes up with after talking about some stuff about how he holds it in thought, and he's, I think he had the same beef you did. He's uh-huh. like, yeah, I can conceive of this thing. Doesn't mean it's real. Right. And so Anselm has to, you know... Say more about... He has to defend it more. He has to defend it more again. But his is, okay, think of the most... The island greater than which no island can be conceived. Okay. You got it? Sure. Now, is it greater to exist or not to exist? Exist. Therefore, this island exists. Yeah, exactly. Right? And has existed for all time. For all time, yeah, exactly. Okay, so that is the greatest... One of the most famous um, criticisms. Right, rebuttals. Yeah. Anselm answers it essentially the same way that I answered your unicorn thing uh-huh. was okay. Now, do you want an island that um, is like sentient? Like, or do you know, like yeah, a, exactly. Would would a sentient island be better? Okay, yeah, sure. would it be better if it was uh, if it could love you? I feel like sure. this island knows me. What if me. this island existed everywhere rather yeah. than just one place? Right. What if it you know died for your sins, yeah, sure. like that kind yeah, of thing? Right. Yeah. Then of course you sort of just end up in the same place as God. I, right. Maybe that's maybe that was a, an argument I came up with, and more more than Anselm did. But Anselm kind of points at the same thing. He's sure. like, just because you could did. conceive of something greater than that island, right? Right. I can conceive of a God who is greater than the island, and therefore it sort of negates it, right? This is a single special case. This argument only applies. To, to that, that which, greater than which nothing can be conceived. Yeah, yeah. It has to be at the very top of the heap so you can't do where the, the same whole thing trick. breaks up. You can't do the same trick for like a beer or an island or like... I declare af- that beer exists. Or like an afternoon or whatever. Yeah, yeah right. It, okay. it has to be only in the case of the greatest thing. Although, Otherwise, you can think of greater If things. you have the greatest beer upon which mm. no other beer can be conceived, please mail it to us at <laughs> the guys at Classical Stuff. <laughs> email us, we'll send you an address. Okay. Yeah, and we will we'll send you a video of us drinking it and enjoying yeah. it. And we'll talk about whatever you want us to. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if it is not the beer greater than which no beer can be conceived. We'll talk about whatever we want. Yeah, whatever we dang well. No deal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's that's the biggest criticism is the okay. uh, the Paradise Island criticism. Okay. And the rest of them are just incomprehensible. I I hate to admit it, but they are really hard to follow. Yeah. Um let's see. So for example, I'll just read one little... I want a funny sen- sentence. Okay. I'll find you a funny sentence. Thanks. Let's see. I'll just read you the first first paragraph. Someone who either doubts or denies that there is any such being as that than which greater than... Gre- that than <laughs> which nothing greater can be thought is told that its existence is proved in the following way. First... The very person who denies or entertains doubts about this being has it in his understanding. Since when he hears it spoken of, he understands what is said. Further, what he understands must exist in reality as well, and not only in this understanding. All right, so so far it's pretty clear. The argument for this claim goes like this. To exist, in, re- so. <laughs> to exist in reality is greater than to exist only in the, in the understanding. Now, if that being exists only under, in the understanding, then whatever also exists in reality is greater than it. Thus, that which is greater than... Everything else will be less than something and not greater than everything else, which is, of course, a contradiction. 
And so that which is greater than everything else, which has already been proved to exist in the understanding, must exist not only in the understanding, but also in reality, since otherwise it could not be greater than everything else. We should have done the proslogion first. <laughs> a what? Of we our should have done the proslogion first, so this is, yeah. in our order of episodes. You guys have a dribble tracking? Uh, well, yes, but I don't think changing the order would have helped me very much. <laughs> he uh, can perhaps reply. The only reason this is said to exist in my understanding is that I understand what is said. But in that same way... Could I not also be said to have in my understanding any number of false things that have no real existence at all in themselves? Since if someone were to speak of them, I would understand whatever he said. Unless, perhaps, it is established that this being is such that it cannot be had in thought in the same way that any false or doubtful things can, and so I am not said to think of what I have heard or to have it in my thought, but to understand it and have it in my understanding. Since I cannot think of it in any other way except by understanding it, that is, by comprehending it in genuine knowledge, the fact that it actually exists. I think this is what a headache feels like. Yeah, exactly. It's rough. It's And that, again, that is actually one of the more understandable passages. So I wanted to read... One yeah, what was the greatest sentence in the English language? Was it yeah. that first Are you guys ready? Oh, no, this, is from, this is from Anselm's reply. Okay. Then I said that if it is understood, it exists in the understanding. Or does that which has been shown to exist necessarily in actual fact not exist in any understanding? But if you say that even if it exists in the understanding, it still does not follow that it is understood. Notice, however, that if it is understood, it does follow that it exists in the understanding. For when something is thought, it is thought by means of thinking. And what is thought by means of thinking exists in thinking just as it is thought. And in the same way, when something is understood, it is understood by means of the understanding. And what is understood by means of the understanding exists in the understanding just as it is understood. What could be clearer than that? <laughs> there it is. That uh, was, there's the I line. read that section, uh, and then the what could be clearer than that, and I was like, oh, <laughs> man, this goes, it's got to go in the quote book because it just makes no dang sense at all. Yeah. That's great. So okay. I, rem- I am completely convinced. It is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but maybe that joke even, like, brings us to the, to the maybe the, like, payoff of this. Let's say this is logically coherent. Okay. Let's say that this is the argument that sort of throughout history, no hole can be brought into, and this is like a slam dunk proof of God. Then why hasn't it done anything? Yeah. Why, like, why don't, why doesn't everybody l- listen to this and be like, ah, gosh dang it. Like, Probably most of exists. that is just, it's just like blown off of like, uh, this was AJ's comment from before. It's not really dealt with. It's just kind of ignored. I think the problem is it's a semantical argument. Uh, just to be, you mean it's just about words? Is that, yeah, okay. it, people think it's just about words. Or, it doesn't actually have any purchase. Or this is an argument where the limits of our own words, the, what this uh, argument sure. proves is the limits of our own words, not the proof, not the existence of God. Right. Yeah. And even then, uh, it, so you guys know the other proofs for the existence of God, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. First, the prime mover, the yeah, first cause. Some of the Aquinas ones. Yeah. Some of the Aquinas ones. I think they're, one they're five. five. Yeah. yeah. I, is there a beauty one? I don't think there is a beauty I think one. I thought there was a beauty one. I don't know if it's, it's there's a, um, I can't remember the theologian. You like him a lot. I forget his name. Um, there is one, but I don't think it's one of Aquinas's. There's a theologian I like? Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, isn't there, isn't Carl Barth. Isn't there a Barth argument around? Barthian? Yeah. Maybe. Um, you think, anyway, I, you think I, I like Karl Barth? So there's the unmoved yeah. mover, the first cause, the argument from contingency, right? Our existence is contingent upon something else's existence. The argument from degree, which is we see all kinds of things in degree, like more or less. For example, the, the argument about, you know, goodness, mm. right? Why can't it just be a series with, you know, when we stop 
low. He says, well, since you can perceive the there degree, the there one. must be something at the top of it. Um, argument from final causes or ends. Um, the objects in our world behave in regular ways. This can't be due to chance since they would not behave with predictable results. So the behavior must be set, but it can't be set by themselves. So it must be set by a, someone, a someone, God, right? right? Yeah. So those are the those are the five proofs. But even those, I think most people don't find convincing, perhaps because we have the Big Bang. I think for a long time, maybe people did. Oh, I don't know. That's interesting. Again, I just think they're not considered or dealt with. I don't just I don't want to. Just think of like the way people engage with religion. It's not primarily intellectual. And so I don't, why would an intellectual argument convince people one way or the other? It's right. Hillsong. Or it's an emotional experience or it's a community that you're a part of. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. Love that music. Yeah. Uh, or I love the people or something like that. But even with these, I, I don't even know if these are as good as the ontological argument, in my opinion. Because the first, yeah, yeah. The, the first cause of the first mover, it's, it's dodging the infinite series question, right? Yes. Right, so could it just be an infinite series of causes all the way back? Yeah. Well, conceivably, we could have infinite universes that never really began. It's just been always popping in and popping out. And we are kind of, I don't want to say begging the question, but God himself is uncaused, right? And so we have to rely on something that we've said to start start the whole chain. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the Aquinas ones, I think they're from the Summa, and they're like, they're like an aside. It's not, he's not saying these are the five reasons God must exist. It's like a... He's writing about something else, and it's kind of inserted. It's not; uh, it's much less expounded on than the forty-four pages you went through for for this one. Yeah. So I think that's part of the difference too, uh, because yeah. Aquinas obviously believes that God exists. And what I really liked about this one is I never re- I thought the ontological argument was just self-contained in existence. I love that he actually moved forward to establish all the attributes of God from that one argument. Yeah. Right. I didn't. I never realized he did that before. But it's kind of cool the way in which he establishes that. I mean, with a few exceptions where he doesn't really nail it. About, yeah. And does, does he say anything about people? He's assuming some kind of, uh, typical, like rational actor thinking through these things. Couldn't someone be wrong in their conceptions of what is higher or better? Yeah, probably. I think he's just assuming rationality, but didn't we already disprove yeah, the what enlightenment? If someone was like a Mars bar. I love I like, Mars bars. I mean, this that was my unicorn example. I, like, I can't think of any, I literally can't think of anything better than a Mars bar. You can though. A bigger no, Mars I bar. I can't. I can't. I don't. I think a bigger Mars bar is actually worse. What Just like my infinite that, ham argument. What about the thing that created a, a Mars bar? No. Wouldn't it be greater than a Mars bar? Mm, I just want the Mars bar. <laughs> he just got a great point about the creator of the Mars bar. I'm going to have to give him that one. <laughs> Sorry. I don't. Because if you have the creator, then you can have. I'll, I'll give AJ. But I, don't, bars as you I want. don't want infinite Mars bars. I just want the one Mars bar. This reminds me of our, uh, what was the episode you did um, where we talked about penguin marriage for an hour? Oh my word. I'm worried about we're going in that direction right now. But I maintain that was a good conversation. That was Maybe on, I'm you were talking about one. like mimetic rivalry and then, was it that one? Was it I yes, see Satan fall like, like when, the, yeah, when we had to do one, a yeah. like was, uh, follow up? <laughs> Gerard, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It's all right. I, apparently I like semantical arguments. Apparently yes, that's what we're exactly learning. Because right. Gerard had that one little throwaway line about like animals don't rival each other or whatever it was. I was like, that's a load of trash. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it seemed to be the oh whole God. premise. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I again. really want to jealous. Let's, don't let's dig back in, guys. I don't. Please don't. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think Grant's question still stands of like, well, why hasn't this kind of settled the question of the existence of God? Well, I mean, is it is it the thing that makes me come to God? Nope. No. Yeah. Is it the thing that is going to stop me from walking away from God? Probably not. Yeah. There, are, there are other things, other arguments I have that are more convincing to me like, than this particular one because it is. Why just does a God allow one. razor blades to be put in Mars bars? 
Oh my gosh. No, that's not the argument for God. What are you talking no, about? No, that's a, an argument as why you would walk away. Sure. Yeah. So the problem of evil is a good exactly. one. Yeah. One of the reasons I would stay, and this is a more recent one, is because apart from God, morals are either totally ambiguous or entirely obliterated. Right. There is no. Or you get depressed like Leah Party. I mean. Yeah. If it's if it's just naturalism, that means that there's morals have no purchase on the man. Yeah, sure. I can do whatever I please. Sure. So. There's a, there's a lot of reasons I stick around, but I can't say the ontological argument is one of them. But dang, it sure is interesting. It is interesting. I'll take that. I think one of the recent versions has, can you conceive of a world in which this being exists? Like they add the best of all possible, like the world's argument mm-hmm. and, you know, other dimensions and stuff. That's kind of fun. This is still a philosophical argument that's being developed or worked on? Is yep. that when? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I find it, it's all very interesting. It's one that I feel like I need to sit with more to think about. Yeah, I need to go into the the old Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which Always the right listeners, place to go. you guys should check it out. It is killer. Graham, I think Golden Mountain might have been Hume. Mm. I see Hume's name comes up when I search for Golden Mountain, so I don't all right. know. Well, if we're if we're ending early, we can end early. Cool, rock and roll. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. You can find us on Twitter at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash classicalstuff, where we post in between episodes. Uh, Graham's trying to keep himself away. Yeah, I know. It, we've done, uh, we did an AMA, which we post on Patreon, which you can find there, and then three episodes right after that. So Plus in-betweens. We've recorded seven things today. It's been, yeah. It's yeah. been six hours, boys. <laughs> well, Woo. thankfully we like this stuff. Uh, so thank you all for listening, and we're going to record an in-between episode right now. Yep. So bye, Let's everyone. Ciao. Bye. Bye.